When you describe someone as a mentor, it's a strong statement and not used lightly. Our guest today was one of my own personal mentors after I retired, as well as many of the top pros in the Peloton over the last few decades. Fair, honest, organized, but also willing to call a spade a spade. Please enjoy our chat with Rod Ellingworth, Deputy Team Principal of Team Ineos Grenadiers, or as I call him, Sir Rod. Hello, Rod Ellingworth, and welcome to Bobby and Jens. Good evening, guys. Good to see you both. Hey, you know, I know I missed your birthday by a day. <clears throat> you just turned 50 back in August, so I just want to take this moment to wish you happy 50th birthday and welcome to the club. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're, we're, I know we're very similar ages, aren't we, I think? And uh, I, re I remember racing with you guys back, well... In the late 80s, I think it was, uh, certainly early 90s when we when we were very young and wondering where we were going to go in this in this world of, of the sport. So, yeah, I know we're all similar age. <laughs> I actually had a picture of you at the nine, eight, 1989 Junior World Championships in um, Moscow. And you guys were staying in a fancy hotel. The Americans went down there. I think it was maybe after the race. And that was a long time ago, obviously. But I, I had a picture. And when I was cleaning out my house, when we had a place up in, in the Tahoe area, somehow that got lost because it's all up in my attic right now. And I've sifted through it because one day I was going to like just give that to you and say, see, we've known each other that long. But man, Rod, it's great. Going to be great to catch up with you. I mean, it's been a long season uh, I'm sure. Where are you right now? And like, what have you done in the last month? And then what, what, how much more traveling do you have for the rest of the year? Yeah, still got a fair bit. I mean, I'm, I'm back in the UK at the moment, um, back at home, just south of Manchester. Uh, we, we're we still in the thick of it, aren't we? You know, only last week, uh, last weekend finished the Vuelta. Uh, I was actually due to go to the final weekend of the Tour of Britain. And the whole idea was to see Richie Port retire, you know, and um, I was down in Monaco last week, uh, the Ineos offices with Dave and, and Jim Radcliffe and Friday flying into into uh, Bristol to go catch up with Richie and celebrate, you know, his retirement and make make something of it. And of course, uh, unfortunately, the Queen died and everything stopped in the UK and, and unfortunately the racing got cancelled. So that <clears throat> that sort of put a quick, abrupt end to Richie's career, uh, which he didn't know, you know, on Thursday when you think he raced Thursday and he, he didn't know that was going to be his last um his last race, which was a bit of a shame. So that was um, that was the plan. Obviously, we had the racing in Canada as well, uh, and um, yeah, you know, so still really busy. I'm off to Andorra tomorrow. Um, we've got a training base. We're setting up a training base. We've got 15 riders next year living up in Andorra. Uh, we're going to have six full-time staff up there. So we're investing in property. We're you know we're building. You know we've got to look after these guys. So I'm up there tomorrow to meet. Um, to meet the Minister of Sport uh, in Andorra and see see what connections we can be, build, you know. And then plenty of travelling after that stuff. Talking about the travelling, what's the majority of your job? Travelling or phone calls? Um, do you know, it, I think both are quite painful at the moment. Um, I think a lot, a lot has changed, hasn't it, since lockdown? You know, we've all gone on to Teams or Zoom calls. So I think, 
you know, you can't walk around the house anymore when you're making your phone calls or sort of feed the kids or do something while you're having the phone calls. You've got to be sat like we are now looking at each other. And so your time is totally dedicated and you seem to be sat in one place, which I'm not sure is healthy for the population in that sense. Um, and then <clears throat> travel wise, you know, that's got so hard now, hasn't it? You know, that I mean, I don't know most, but, you know, I can't get, I can't hardly get anywhere on a direct flight anymore. We have to go via one of the main hubs in Europe. So, you know, that seems to have um, get a lot, a lot harder to the point where uh, last week Air France have lost my suitcase. Uh, I travelled down to Monaco last week for a big meeting with Jim Radcliffe, wanted to impress Jim and, and make a good job, took, took some smart clothes in my suitcase uh, suitcase never turned up on Monday. I left Friday and I still haven't got it. And they still don't know where it is. So thanks, Air France. They've, they've done a great job there. So, so things like that just, you know, constantly getting in the way, isn't it? But, um, what do I enjoy? <clears throat> I still enjoy the traveling, to be honest. I still love the bike racing. You know, I still watch bike racing, even if our lads aren't in it. I like to watch the racing and, um, there's something about it, isn't there? That, that keeps us fully engaged in cycling. You know, it's our lives, isn't it? <clears throat> it's not a job. So I feel quite lucky. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, you know, we know the success of Team Sky, which is now Ineos Grenadiers. Um, up until that point, cycling in the UK wasn't at the level that it is now, uh, especially on the road. So mm. let's go back to the beginning and tell us about or tell our listeners about, you know, how this whole revolution of cycling in the uk started with the under 23 <clears throat> program that you set up in italy um i want to know your mindset back then well i think you know it went back a, a few years before that with um with peter Keane and the and the lottery funding you know when 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 the lottery funding came out in the uk that was the big shift and i think uh, we were quite lucky with Peter Keane, who then was the, the performance director of British Cycling, who wrote a good proposal, good strategy, uh, which went into UK sport, you know, around our Olympic programme. And the whole focus was to be the world's number one cycling nation in 2012. And when you think this was written in about 96, 95, 96, um, so quite a long time ago. So his vision was massive. That was before I started working or anything. So, you know, a lot of this is about Peter Keane. And then... Um, you know, I, I think that then things started to evolve there. As soon as you got a little bit of money in the, in the program, you can start to sort of in, implement a few programs. And I was quite fortunate, stepped off the bike, uh, and not long afterwards was, you know, getting involved with vol voluntary, really just doing work with, uh, local schools. Uh, we'd got a, what we call the talent team program in the UK had started, which was a program getting out there and scouting across the country. Uh, so I started voluntary work there and then was offered a job. I was actually interviewed by Dave Brailsford in, in 2000 or 2001 uh, and I took the job and, you know, so I was based down in the southeast of England and going daily and testing thousands of kids in a year uh, to, you know, search for the next big stars. And that's where, you know, people like Joe Rousel, Lizzie Armistead, uh, Jason Kenny, you know, quite a few big names who have gone on to be Olympic champions and so forth that were, were found on the school playing fields in, in, in the UK somewhere, you know, so... That was my start. Um, <clears throat> so I was right involved in all that. What I didn't like personally when I was seeing this was everything was based around your physical ability. It was all about times. It was all about your power you could produce, you know. And we all know if you haven't got the strength or the speed, you know, you, you, you're not going to be any good. But there's so much more to cycling, isn't there? You know, there's a the mental aspect, there's a the technical, the, the race knowledge, the craft. And this was all sort of 
this was all stuff that I was, I was going against the science. I was going against the scientists, even though I knew it was valuable, the science. But you've also got to have this equal balance of something quite special, you know, to, to be the best. You, you two guys know that more than anybody. And I think, um, you know, that's what I went against. So when I started then uh, working more with, with young athletes and, you know, back then I was, um, I was working with, say, Ian Stannard then, who's, uh, you know, who, who who's 14, just started sort of getting cycling, Garrett Thomas at 12 or 13, Mark Cavendish at a similar age, seeing all these lads. And it was, it was shocking that Mark Cavendish never made the Junior World Championships. And he didn't make the Junior World Championships, even though he was winning all the bike races in the UK. But they didn't take him because he couldn't produce the numbers on a on on the track or on a on a a, a power rig, you know, in a, in a lab. And I just thought this was crazy, so I opened it up completely, went against the grain, which didn't go down particularly very well. And also, you know, I was the, one of the first non-sport scientists and everything to be taken on at British Cycling as a coach. So I, I owe a lot to Dave Brailsford in that respect to go out on a limb and sort of take me into British cycling. Um, but, you know, I wanted to really work on what the life of a cyclist was about. You know, I obviously only did a couple of years uh, with a pro license, but, I did, you know, I did all that living in France and doing all the hardship of living on your own in, in the middle of France and trying to make it, you know, that was that was what we used to have to do, wasn't it? You know, certainly certainly for yourself, Bobby, I think, and, you know, coming from the other side of the world, it's, it, it's quite a challenge, isn't it? So I wanted to work on all that side of it and the life around your bike um so that's then when I started floating the idea about the British Cycling Academy so I rewrote the program basically for the juniors and under 23s in Great Britain which was all about a seamless pathway to become not just a not just an Olympic medalist on the track because we were focusing on the track because it was the easiest medals to win basically you know it was the lowest investment you had to make there was more medals on on offer and also you know on the track you can test everything so you know if you're competitive or not. As we knew at the time, the road racing was quite a challenge, wasn't it? You know, for one reason or another. Um, and we didn't really have access to the European uh, uh, racing as easy, you know. Um, so my thoughts were, when you ask these young lads, they all want to ride Tour de France or they all want to ride Paris-Roubaix or that was their dream, isn't it? You know, all young kids, that's what they want to do. That's what our lads wanted to do. But they also wanted to be Olympic gold medalists along, along the way. So... I very much focused on, right, let's follow their dreams and produce them to be Olympic and world champions on the track and then they can move on. And if we can do it right and we school them right, they'll, they'll have all the skills to, to move on to be a pro, you know, and it, and that whole cohort, that all, they, they all came through that, that program, you know, from juniors all the way through under 23s and in, into the pro ranks. And that, that was where it sort of started to gain momentum. And then I think it was about 2004, 2005, else would start talking to me about a pro team and start saying you know for 2012 that sort of olympic time we didn't know we were going to get get it in the uk then but we were like that's our when we want to be world number one team or, or nation you know what does that look like dave went hard at it i was carrying on with the racing and being out there uh, across the europe with the under 23s but you know dave ended up with the the funding and and you know we, we were able to put that pro team together then which was very much done off the back of british cycling the whole model was around Brit the way that we'd coached at british cycling you know you 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 experienced that in in its entirety i think bobby when you started you know and um it was a different approach <clears throat> you know the athlete first um rider in the middle of the program it wasn't about management it wasn't about just going from race to race and enjoying ourselves it was about proper performance and and trying to you know be the best we 
we can be. So that's in a in a brief few minutes. <laughs> that was that was the background of it all. Yeah. Um, just for for people that are not so much involved or from other countries. Um, to me, the first time I noticed the change in British cycling when you came up with that world-class performance plan, there was official word for it, right? Yes, that was, yes. And yeah, was fine, I remember, yeah. was I talking to Dave Miller maybe, or was it still Chris Boffman? Like, hey, that sounds you guys want to take over the world, which eventually you actually did, at least taking over the cycling world. So time-wise, when was that? When did you start with that? World-class performance plan. Was that the idea of Peter Keane you mentioned before? Or was that when you got the big money uh, for the Federation? Or when did that start? Yeah, that was that was Peter Keane's idea. So the world-class performance plan was what was... It, it was called from the very outset, from about 96, 97. So that was, you know, it was all based around... All the funding is basically around Olympics. So there is... The funding is connected to the World Championships as well, but it's mainly around Olympic medals. The more medals you can win, you can actually set a value per medal, uh, which goes into the programme. So, so it built over the years. I think we, we changed to... It was always the world-class performance plan, but then we, we, we sort of changed some of it to the podium programme. So there's a real focus on, you know, what, what do we want to be? We want to be on the podium. Podiums has had a value to us. So we called, you know, those podium athletes, those podium staff. Are you a podium coach? You know, are you one of the best three coaches in the world? If not, why not? And, you know, it was all that type of attitude of being on that podium and, and, and sort of, you know, driving, driving program like that, you know, I mean, within our team now, we call it yellow jersey time. So, you know, when we talk about what is a coach putting in quality time, are they putting in yellow jersey time, which means quality world-class coaching, not, not sort of anything else. Cause our, one of our games is, is, is the tour, you know, so, so we sort of, we've always kept that sort of concept going in, in a way, but world-class performance plan has always been the Peter Keane's baby that, yeah. But to go back, uh, one more question about your time with those young riders that became international stars, Tour de France champions, Olympic champions. Besides the on-the-bike training, what, in your opinion, are those building blocks that each of those young riders learned from you that not only made them a good cyclist, but then also a well-rounded person? Um, well, I think, again, it's, it's about the whole package, isn't it? You know, And, and I think... I always talk a lot around that dinner table time, you know, it's, it, 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 you know, how are they sociably within the group and that dinner table post stage and the, the chatting about the race and, you know, they're, they're really crucial moments. And, and when we were, when, you know, I had Geraint's and these guys, when they were young kids, I, I used to put a lot of investment in that time, you know, make sure we all sat down together. I always sat at the table with them and making sure that we were talking about the right things, because in a way that was them just evaluating their race. They didn't know it, but that's what we were doing. That's what I was pushing was them talking about the bike race, what happened, who crashed, what, ha you know, what happened in the moment when they attacked, how did they feel when they blew up? How did they feel? But, but I basically set a whole curriculum of off, off bike work, you know, so, um, and, and funny enough, I've just employed a pathway manager into Team Ineos who, because I'm identifying, you know, we're taking on 18, 19 year old kids. So, so, so they, even though they could be pro bike riders, but they're still the same, you know, that still got, still, they've only had 18 years of experience. So you've got to, you, you can't fast track experience, can you really? You know, you can fast track performance and they can be fitter and can understand how to get air on a bike and all that, but they can't fast track learning and, that's that time and, and the, the amount of days of racing. So um, 
I've been talking a lot about it today. So, you know, we, we did language courses. We did things like, you know, how do you deal with saddle sores um, you, when you've got gravel rash wounds? You know, so we, this was all off bike stuff. Um, uh, we did all that, you know, how do you look after your bike? We did, uh, food hygiene courses. So how do you, um, you know, where do you stack the food in the fridge? Because I, I was bringing them into Manchester, uh, you know, f- straight from home and I was putting them in, we were in uh, student university, uh, accommodation in Manchester. Um, you know, I put them in the heart of the student university area so that if they wanted to go down the pub, they aren't going to get in a taxi 20 miles away and get in a pub. They can walk down and they're straight there because I know people like Geraint and the guys, they need a bit of a, they need to get out there. <laughs> they need to be young lads so they could go to the pub when they wanted, but they had to be at the track for 7.30 every morning. You know, that was the, that was it. That was the deal. I don't care what you do in the night, be there at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, so, I, you know, I, 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 I sat with discipline standards, but we did all this off, off bike stuff. You know, we, well, I used to get them to do essays uh, and they could choose their hero. And I remember, I, th- I think Mark Cavendish wrote about Stuart O'Grady, you know, and they had to write a thousand word essay on Stuart O'Grady and his background and what, where did he come from? And, you know, how did he make it in there? You know, go out there, re- research, read about people, you know, uh, I'm not sure if anybody ever did uh, Bobby and Yen's uh, story, but they may have done. I can't remember. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, you, all that sort of stuff. And you just start to get an understanding of who they are as characters and what do they see as special or important in the programme. But I did as I did at that time, I did as much off bike work as I did on bike work. So as a group, we sat as in a classroom environment and we talked about the challenges of being pro bike riders. What's it going to take to be a pro bike rider? So I never set it. They did it themselves. I just facilitated the session. So it was... Okay, what's it? What, what do you have to be to win Paris Roubaix? They wrote it all up. I wrote, you know, they came up with all the ideas. I just wrote it all up. What? Okay, what? What do you mean by you got to be fast? How do you get fast? What's that mean? What you got to do? What training do you need? So I captured all that, and then all the training sessions were based around their ideas. So every time you said, right, we're going to go out and do X, because remember, two weeks ago we talked about X. Oh yeah, yeah, that's my idea. Okay, let's go do it. So it was sort of get make them responsible for the program make them responsible and feel accountable for what they're doing. And you get so much more out of them, you know? So there was a, I did a lot of off bike work, which was a Steve Peters thing. You know, we've got the chimp model within British cycling, which is the whole psychological sort of preparation. And, you know, that inner, inner person who's given us a hard time all the time and telling us the opposite to what we should be doing and opposite to logic. This was all that sort of chimp model and Steve Peters's work that I took on and, and we sort of developed the, the, a massive part of the program around that. Really was, yeah. Um, so you're working with a lot of young kids back then, young men, and not everybody can make it. Do you have any memories of like a heartbreaking moment where you had to tell a kid, "Look, your dream is gone. I have to send you home." Is there like something that comes to your mind? We go, "Oh yeah." Dead or dead, it was so hard because the kid was crying or whatever. Or did all the kids see it coming that they're not part anymore of the program? How, how, how was that? Yeah, really tough, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you know, when we start out this, you know, we love the sport, we love to see people succeed. Uh, you know, I've always, for, for years, you know, uh, I've always helped people get out to France and race, even if they're not very good, whatever, you know, just live that dream a little bit, live the cycling dream. And um, so when you have to tell a young guy you're not selected or we're going to kick you off the programme, it's bloody hard. You know, it really is mentally quite tough to do. Um, I mean, I've got, 
there's there's three uh, examples I've got really. One is um, those who do recognise it, Jens, and actually take themselves off the programme and actually come to me and in in quite a, you know they're quite distressed. They don't want to do it, but those who see the the and just say, listen, I can't do this anymore. It's not for me. And you you know it's it's easy for us that, but it's hard for them. So you have to support them through that. There's the ones then who literally um, you know they're um, they just don't see it at all. Um, and, uh, like I say, they're the really, really tough ones. And I remember there was a guy called Mark McNally who, um, who now he lives in Belgium. He, he, after the academy program, he went on to ride for one of the small pro teams in, in Belgium, you know, obviously never made much money, but he, he continued to race for another five, six years of a bit longer, but God, that poor guy, he cried his eyes out. He was so disappointed, you know, it was after an end of year in Italy, um, and I just had to tell him I had to make room. You know, you can only have so many on the program. I had to make room. I had some other. It, it was making room for people like Pin, Tim Kenyuk and a few of these Luke Rowe, these sort of guys. I had to make room. You know, um, and that's tough to do. And then there was a there was a case as well where there was a guy called Ross Sander who uh, um, I took him out to LA to ride track World Cup. We went down to near San Diego to do a, a training camp, and his dad was actually. Living in was American was in the American, was in the army, and he'd never met his dad before, but he had contact with his dad, and he, he we were on this training camp, and he just he just stopped me one day and said, "Listen, Roddy says I'm going to leave the academy." I was like, "Wow!" What, what? He said, "I'm going to go live with my dad," and you know he left and he never went back to the UK, and some of the guys are still in contact with him, and he wrote me a letter, and now he's quite up, high up there in the US military. And he wrote me a letter and a few years later and said everything that he learned on the academy was like a huge um, uh, part of his life. And he, and, he, and he learned a lot. You know, he learned about discipline. He learned about standards. He learned about pushing himself. But he made that move. He, he, he proactively went, you know. So, the, so there's quite a few different experiences there of people leaving the programme, which is, you know, sometimes easy, sometimes hard. Yeah. Mark Minnelli was a real tough one because he was so into it and he was 10 out of 10 for commitment. He just wasn't quite cutting the mustard, you know, so got to make room. It's tough, that, isn't it? If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine, exclusive membership content from bellenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and Trail Forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus, and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. You'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. Back to our chat with Rod. You know, one thing, knowing you, you were a planner. And sometimes it was fun because, like, a lot of these plans you would share with me after the fact, after major success. And a lot of that was documented in the book that you wrote, Project Rainbow, How British Cycling Reached the Top of the World. 
And I suggest to our listeners, if you want to read a great book about this man and his planning, give it a read. But the one thing that just blew me away was was you you were a young man as well, and you were planning the lives and of not only yourself, but all these guys that were going to go along for the ride. And, you know, from year to year, you had like these little, you know, kind of benchmarks and you would achieve those benchmarks. But like how certain when you were writing these plans, you know, obviously we know that they were successful, but when you were writing these plans, how certain were you that this was possible? Well, you you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, like when I, I never really talked about it much before, but I, 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 a lot of them early things were taken off my own experience, you know, and, and things like, you know, when we were young lads and going off racing and, and I remember having a, a conversation at the Junior Worlds with George uh, and he was telling me about how in America, you know, there was some funding about travel and doing some sort of sports within your colleges and all this it was mind-blowing for us you know we, we we didn't have any of that we had to give skin suits back we'd have to pay for trips if you could or not you know and it was just you know I come from a background we didn't have any money to do much with so you sort of a lot, a lot of it but I always believed in what we could do <laughs> you know I've always believed I don't know why for there's British people we you know we, we live on an island it's 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 quite unique in that sense you know um to get off the island you've got to make an effort it's not like you're just driving across the border and and racing or or whatever you've got to make a big effort i've always believed in us of, of what we could do um and <clears throat> i thought we just need the vehicle to go do stuff you know we just got to get on put put the right put the right things in front of these lads and they'll stand a bloody good chance because we're all human aren't we we're all you know there's nothing to stop us you know so I felt quite strong in that respect in terms of actually could we pull this off you never know but what I do believe is if you've got a plan you're most like you're more likely to pull it off than if you haven't got a plan and you know I think everything in my life I've got a plan I've got to go forward and that's that's all that's what I'm all about you know not all not all of it did come off you know we didn't win the Olympic Games road race that year with Cav we won the time trial but we we didn't win the Olympic Games road race and that was a major we had a four-year plan around that but we did win it, you know, for one reason or another. And um, so not everything was successful, but, you know, we, we did achieve a lot of it. But like I say, a lot of it is, is um, if you don't, if you haven't got the plan, you're never going to, you're most likely not going to succeed, are you? If you haven't got a plan, you just get somewhere and everybody's like headless chickens, you know. <clears throat> but I enjoy writing the plans. I still, we still do the same, you know, so try and think about what's that future look like, yeah. All righty then, I'm going to take your word and that you love planning. What is your plan on winning the Tour de France 2023? <laughs> Anything you can <laughs> share with us? Or, or, um, or let, let, let me start easier. Let, 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 let me start with a, with a question before. You were dominating the Tour de France, winning it uh, five times in a row with three different riders, right? And then the last uh, three years, you didn't win it. What do you think? What has changed? Were you guys getting a little too comfortable because you were on top of the game for so long? Or did the rest of the competition speed up their game? So so first question, what was the reason why other teams won the tour? And now second part of the question, what's your plan on reversing that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think um, one one thing... It- I've asked, been asked that question quite a lot this this year, actually, and um, I feel quite proud that 
I think we set some really high standards when we came into the sport to to just try and lift certain aspects of the of the sport. You know, not not being arrogant, nothing. Just sort of going right. This is what we've learned, and this is what we believe is a really good way of of looking after our athletes. And if you put the athletes at, at the very heart of what you do, you know, you you you're really going to take them a long way. And we used to have like. Project Wiggins and Project Richie Port and put a little team around them. You know, Bobby, you was very much around, you know, the, the, the Chris Foom project and, or Team Foom, it was called or whatever, you know, and, and driving these guys forward. Um, and just put your focus into that. Be very elitist and be, you know, don't, don't cater for man 25 and to 30, cater for your top five type thing, you know, and that's the standard you want to be at. Um, you know, we went to town on the vehicles. We went to town on logistics. We went to town on the coaching, which was there. Now, straight away, we got an advantage because a lot of other teams weren't looking at it like that. They, they you know, they were a bit more in survival mode. They were possibly, you know, it was more about looking after partners and, um, you know, sponsors and, you know, just going from race to race. And there was, wasn't a lot of focus sometimes on, on the performance of, of, of the team. So I think we got some advantages there. And I think over time, what's happened is, you know, other teams have got better. Other teams have started looking and, you know, what's going off and they've raised their game. And quite quite frankly, I think it's bloody brilliant. You know, I, th- I think it's absolutely, it, it's phenomenal now when you look at the, 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 the spread of world-class bike riders and world-class teams. You know, they're all, there's several teams now working at such a high level. So you have to embrace the competition now. <laughs> And that's what's happening, you know. You've got real competition. I, I, I don't feel like we had the same competition before, you know. Uh, I'm not saying it was easy, but it, it was a different world. Um, so I think now, so so the teams have got more professional. I think I think they've got a lot more dialed into the process of, of performance and putting performance first. Um, and then at the same time, I think this whole new generation of young bike riders have got everything at the fingertips. So that's why you know these young guys now. That they're, they're you're not teaching them about nutrition. They're telling us about nutrition. <laughs> you know, they've read up on it. They're smart kids. You know, um, they they know about aerodynamics. You know, they're not interested anymore in being cool. They're interested in going fast. They they just want to go fast as fuck. That's it. And they do that by being aero, by you know studying things, making sure push for the right equipment and everything else. So I think there's a whole. That, and that's why I believe these young kids are performing a lot earlier because they're just far more educated, you know, and, and they're given better opportunities a lot earlier now. <clears throat> um, I think for us as a team, I don't think I, I don't think this team has backed off at all. I, I think we've we, we've um, there's some areas where you know we've we've sort of spread our wings. I think we've tried to sort of look at different areas uh, within cycling and try to do a few different things. We've had, you know, obviously the change from Sky to Ineos uh, was quite a big change and um, an ownership change. Um, but at the same time, I don't think there's any lack of focus on performance, but I do think all the other teams have, have caught up and, and in some areas overtaken us, you know, if, if I'm honest. And I think that's now, that's now our challenge. And the Tour de France is, is 100% our challenge. Um, and I think going to the question of what are we going to do for 2023, I think the, you know, a lot of it is around y- your talent, isn't it? If you haven't got the talent, it's very hard to to go and win the Tour de France. Now, we believe we have the talent. We have the talent in Egan Bernal. But unfortunately, Egan Bernal ran into the back of a bus. So that, you know, is, has, has, has had a major impact on our Grand Tour outlook 
this year and for next year potentially. So, you know, but we're we're working. We've got you know good talent like Danny Martinez, who I think is a real. Uh, you know, this guy's a bike racer. He's got all the characteristics to be a Grand Tour winner. <clears throat> um, we've got Tom Pidcock, who got a lot of learning to do, but again, I think has got huge potential. Uh, as we can see, won the Queen Stage in the in the Tour, and again. I'll tell you what I really like is, you know, when you set out a few good few weeks or months before and you say, I'm going to try and win that race. So, you know, when I go back to our early days about Olympic Games, um, to to actually perform on a given day every four years is pretty special. It's quite unique. When you actually think about that, you've got one one hit once every four years. That that was what we specialised in. <clears throat> and it's the sort of same thing as what we do here. You've got to plan for your performance. And, you know, Tom planned for his performance on that day. That wasn't just a, oh, I, I found myself in the break. Oh, you know, I'll take the day, I'll take the opportunity. No, that was a planned performance from him. He, he was talking about the descent off the Glivier all for days and days. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly when he was going to go. He knew he could catch up minutes on that descent and he, he put it together. And, and I think, again, you know, that was a, a show of real class that from him, you know. So, so that, you know, they're our sort of key riders going forward. <clears throat> um, we've got our plans, but, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough game now with the competition, you know, and I think uh, seeing it all develop as it is, I, I love it. It makes me roll my sleeves up and go, right, lads, we've got everything, keep your feet on the floor because we've got some work to do, you know. So we're, we're currently just at that phase now of really looking and planning next year, what it's looking like, who's going to be the boy, and, and let's get behind them, you know. So it's a bit early to say exactly how we're going to do it, but we're getting there. Um, and you had uh, young Carlos Rodriguez just finished um, sixth in the Vuelta. Yeah, or well, seventh or something. But yeah, I mean, Carlos, great, great talent. Well, young guy. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, young, but super talent, I believe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, super talented. Yeah. And I think next year he'll lead a Grand Tour. You know, he'll lead one of the, either the Giro or the Vuelta, I, I, could, I would imagine. Um, you know, great, great young kid. He's exactly one of them lads who, you know, he only went full time last year, at the middle of last year. You know, he finished study and he came onto our team to study and, and, and continued his studies. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, brilliant talent. And just the way that he survived after the crash, mm. you know, he had a crash at 60k an hour, he skinned himself. Um, I got a message Saturday morning saying this is going to be tough. He didn't sleep. He was, you know, the two days after syndrome of swelling and just feeling really bad. Uh, but he survived, you know, he, he lost places, but he survived and we really praised that. I mean, I, I tell you, that's the other thing I always think is don't praise the performance, praise the effort. You know, there's a big difference <clears throat> because the effort is what, what will make it, isn't it, one day? And I, I really get behind the guys and I encourage all our coaches, DSs to do the same, you know. It's a really important part, I think. And we know the history of Sky and Ineos in, in Grand Tours. But this year, you know, you guys up to this date, have had a great season, 37 wins, um, which, you know, is not bad. I mean, 37 wins is phenomenal. But one of the things that, that seemed to be different this year, breaking that mold of your organization, was that you guys were a force to be reckoned with in the classics. You know, you guys won Amstel, uh, Amstel Gold, Robinson Pill, and then the granddaddy of them all, Peru Bay. And I remember for a long time reading that Peru Bay was like one of those little check marks that, you know, that box that wasn't checked. 
What was it like for your organization to to win Paris-Roubaix this year? Yeah, massive, really big. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of them, isn't it, where you know people who perhaps don't know the sport too well, it's all about the Tour de France. But for everybody who's in the sport, like as we know, that day of the Tour de, uh, of Paris-Roubaix is such a big day, isn't it? You know, the challenge of winning Roubaix, everything's got to fall right. Um, we've we'd obviously had what eleven or twelve hits at it, uh, never succeeded, been on the podium a couple of times. Um, and, and Dylan just did a absolute phenomenal job. I think we, you know, um, Moscon perhaps could have won it the year before, uh, you know, and he had the, the punch and then crash. Can't remember. Yeah. He punched and then crashed. Um, you know, we went to town then on what the hell happened, you know, was his bike different setups. He just looked like he was all of a sudden on a di- totally different bike race. You know, it must've been tire pressures and you guys will know how important that is. Um, We'd gone through just that transition of going on to, uh, tubeless tires. So we, we were still learning the, the ropes in terms of tire pressures in that world. So we got that wrong somewhere, but we, you know, we went away, knocked our heads together and really put together, I thought, a really good classic season. Um, our equipment was, was spot on. I think we've really got a good package now with the equipment. And I think classics is, is very much about your equipment and how, how the bike responds, but also just that, uh, young, that young group, you know, in particular, you know, Ben Turner, Magnus Sheffield, um, uh, Kim Hyduck, you know, that, that young, that young group of bike riders who have just given us a hell of a lot of energy, um, and just went out, they just went at it, didn't they? And I'll tell you what's been really good this year, and I've, I've really placed this is upward pressure. You know, your Luke Rose and all these guys, they're, they're looking behind them and thinking, my God, you know, these lads are good. I, I better move, you know, and, and who moved more than anybody was Garrett Thomas. That that guy, that guy's moved. He, he got his arse into gear, you know, big time. And and I just think, so the Classics campaign was really good. And that's where I was saying a little bit, you know, we've diversified a little bit away from just all focused on Grand Tours. We, we, we you know, we've spread, we've spread deliberately across and trying to win some different bike races, you know. We've got this whole thing around being loved and respected. That's this is what we've been talking about. We call it top right racing. So if you've got a quadrant, you know, and you've got this sort of the top right is sort of in, on any power curve, anything it always goes up, you know, from left to right. And top right is where we want to be, and that's being loved and respected. You know, we don't want to be boring and bottom left hand side, you know. And we felt like Team Sky was perhaps um, a, a hard winning team, but it perhaps wasn't that well respected. It wasn't loved. You know, we were a bit black. We were a bit robotic maybe you know it we did it we don't regret what we did but it perhaps wasn't that for the love of the sport in that sense you know it was a bit sort of just drilled and make you know the train and control and that was it you know um when now we've gone for this loved and respected model and i think we've achieved that you know we've, people started to look at the team in a different way start to get to know our athletes better um letting these young lads sort of talk how they need to and and just let it all out you know and express themselves on the bikes. Um, I was one of the guys when I worked uh, for Eurosport or before for NBC, defending yeah. you guys and your racing style. I said, look, it's not their fault. They want to win. And that is the safest way for them to win, riding that style. Yeah. It's the fault of all the others. They're just not good enough to challenge them. <clears throat> they let them mm. get away with the same plan for the last years. It's not the fault of Team Sky back then. It's the fault of the others. They are just not good enough. They don't do the homeworks and they're unable to challenge you guys. So you guys want to win and that's the way you do it. Point. The winner is always right. 
So you guys did well, but I see the point you explained. And that leads me to my question, actually. Racing tactics seem to have changed for, let's say, since two and a half, maybe three years. Races are much more open. I mean, look at Dylan van Baale, a 50k solo at, what was it, Three Doors Flandern last year? Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was unheard of four or five years ago. A rider attacking with 50 kilometers to go solo, people were going, oh, look at that idiot, he's going to die out there. And you pulled it off. Why is that that racing is so much more interesting, open, and unpredictable? Is the, the average quality of every rider just higher? You don't have this one or two dominant characters like Cancellara and Tom Bonin back then? Or why is racing so unpredictable? I mean, Pogacar attacks with 50k to go. In the Tour de France this year, halfway is the top three of the podium alone, alone, yeah. half three stage. Each other. Yeah, they're attacking each other like there's no tomorrow. Well, why is that? And how, how do you consider that into your future plans to be part of that? Do you know, I, I, I don't know the answer exactly. Uh, I, my opinion is, um, you know, in the past you had this old guard of cycling and they, you know, they banged people on the heads when they did silly things or what was deemed to be silly. And, you know, they controlled the peloton. There was a lot of control, wasn't there? And there's a lot of, this is the way you do it. This is the way you don't earn your stripes, you know, and, and come up through the ranks. And it was always the guys performing them were your later twenties, early 30 year olds. So the young guys were kept in their place, were suppressed from attacking and doing that early and i think you know if you go back i don't know uh looking at the late 70s 80s and your eno years you know very much that's what you read about isn't it you know how controlled and if you stepped out of line old bernardino would come along and tell you to get back in line um, and over time i think that's changed and i think that's changed in the whole society of where we everything we do in life isn't it you know young kids have got more more to say They're, they can express themselves differently They're, all that social media and everything they can say whatever they want anytime they want you know which is quite scary in some ways for us old dogs but and i think that's what's happening in this sport you know these young kids are coming into the sport and they ain't scared they don't give a damn about going thomas and they're like game on mate you 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 try and catch up and keep up you know um and and i think they're they're just not scared you know the whole game, and I do think their their quality is a lot better. It's the general quality, not not saying um, they're better than anybody used to be, but just the you know the general average professional cyclist now, their whole quality is better. <clears throat> I think they're all on better equipment. I think everybody's getting looked after better, aren't they? You know, that's that's the thing. You know, you you know, you think about I don't know twenty five years ago, coaching in cycling was a real sort of like, well, what's all that about? You know, and I know when we came into the pro world, you know, coaching, the way in which we were coaching, people were going, wow, this is different. And I was like thinking, really? Oh, that's pretty, you know, that's that's what you should do, isn't it? But it was, you know, and now every team has coaches, don't they? Now, now coaches are perhaps quite key people. You know, they've always been key in our team, but the coaches across all teams. So I think for all these reasons, riders are fitter. They fuel in. I tell you what's happened massively as well. Fueling has played a massive part. And, you know, before people would do 50, 60 grams an hour of carbs. Now they're doing 120, you know, 100 to 120 grams. And it's the done done thing now. You know, people are slamming these special products down them, which high, you know, massive content of, of carbs. And they're, they're, they're just fueling. Nobody's blowing up like they used to do. You know, you don't get riders getting the knock like they used to do because there's there's no way you can with the fuel they're taking. So they've got a lot more energy, <laughs> these kids. A lot more energy, you know, so... 
I don't know if that has explained it, but that's my that's my view. Yeah, we've done a lot of studying on like the first hour of racing, like how much faster it's got, you know, how many more accelerations. So we've been doing a lot of that work just recently, because I've been saying, guys, your, your training model has got to change. You you can't go out, you you can't go down the cafe and meet and then go for a nice floaty hour. No, you've got to go wallop straight out the door. Let's get on it, you know. Let's go fifty k an hour chewing the handlebars from word go. There's no time here, guys. That you've got to train the demands of the event and the demands of the event for the first hour you've got to soak up a shitload of accelerations you've got to soak up maybe your best five minute power in the first hour of a six hour stage you know and and so the demands have changed so we're looking at all that at the minute and how's that sort of shaping up now you know? okay so we got younger riders who are fearless better fueled ambitious how, when you have multiple riders on the same team, this is one thing that I've always just been absolutely dumbfounded by, by trying to figure out this. How do you control guys that have the same objective into working together? And I think you were the guy that uh, said that team is an acronym for together everyone achieves more. And at least that was one in one of your, your old documents that you sent me. But how do you make this work with these, you know, there, there's money on the line, there's prestige on the line, but it always seems like your organization is able to bring all that craziness together and, and, and kind of organize it and, and in a very simple way. You don't really hear you guys fighting so much, but how do you control a team with these young riders that have the same objectives. Oh, it's never easy, is it? And I think this is where, you know, a little bit going back to that conversation there about, you know, um, um, people being disappointed or people um, being upset with selections and things. You know, I think you've got to start your, the, start the process off really early. You know, we talked about you go on the journey with the riders. So we, you know, we split them down into different um, uh, um streams race streams so you've got your classics your ardennes your, your three grand tours and you go on that journey so the ds's take the riders on that journey in each stream <clears throat> and it's about sort of trying to you know tell them when selections are going to be tell them how the race structure would be what's the demands of the event you know if you've got four guys who are in for the running tell them early you know there's four of you who are up for the running and basically lads we're one team and we're going to take the best eight bike riders to the line um, and this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, if it comes to a week before and all four of you are good, we're going to have to fight this out. But be just, I, I think a lot of this is just about being upfront, being honest with people, telling them. And, and that's, again, we do sessions in the winter with the groups and we talk about the challenges going forward. So you sort of talk, talk to them so they know what's coming up. You know, they, we openly across the room go, yeah, it's him and him who are going to be challenging for this bike race. Let's not hide the fact. Because you're just killing yourselves if you hide it, aren't you? you don't, and you don't talk about it. You know, um, they all want to win, but but that's then the thing about turning it to the team need to win. You know, it's about the team and whoever it is. You know, it's look look at Amstel. You look at Brabham Sapel. You look at them races. There was two or three other guys queued up behind who were gagging to win, but they knew the team objective, and you know they were all pretty. Like you said, there's money on the line, there's bonuses, there's everything else to at play here, which is quite, you know, always pretty tricky. But, you know, again, I think you just got to be upfront and honest with people. I guess you guys 
doing did and do a pretty good job of that because the only conflict I have ever noticed in the team in like the last 15 years was that famous uh, Frome and Wiggins and I'm not going to take you to the tour case. Apart from that, I never heard or seen any fight or trouble or struggle. So I guess you guys do a pretty good job. And if I'm allowed to share my own private opinion on that fight back then, or should I just be quiet? No, no, go for <laughs> Already. it. Already, no, you go for it, Jens. I would I'm, uh, if I would I'm have sure been Sir Dave, if, if I would have been Sir Dave, Dave Brailsford, I would have taken them two in my room, slapped their heads, slammed their heads together, go, listen, you cost me five million pounds, and you cost me five million pounds. You two are half of my bloody budget. I expect you to be full up grown men and work together for three weeks. You don't have to talk to each other. And one can do Perinese, the other one does Tirreno. One can do the Dauphiné, one can do the Tour de Suisse. But for three weeks in a year, for five million quid, I expect you to go, yes, sir, we can do that. Three weeks of working together. Okay, that was my weekly rant. So I'm good now. <laughs> but um, I guess there's a lot more to it. <laughs> you got it out. Yeah, well, you know. Oh, there's a lot. The a lot more to it. There, uh, you know, there were some conversations similar to that, I think, had, you know, and, and uh, lots of to and fro in. But, yeah, it was quite a challenge. We, I mean, you know, we learned shitloads through that time. You know, as a team, we, we learned shitloads. And, and you know, um, the, the thing was, you know, obviously Dave, Dave B was really leading that at the time and, and uh, you know, taking all that on. And But, he'd, he, you know, he'd had a lot of hard selection processes you know olympic games and things like that so you know he's had a lot of experience of challenging moments and i think dave was always pretty good at, at that you know and how he how he dealt with it um and uh, you know it, it was it wasn't very pretty at the time but we made it work and sometimes as as, as we've always said you don't have to be mates none of, none of us have to be mates but we're you know, this is the team and we will get on with it. This is what's going to happen. You know, so there was some pretty hard conversations which were had. And, we, you know, we, we still pretty much stay the same for people. You know, it's about the team. Um, we've chosen you to do this. Um, and, and this is this, you know, there's certain rules and and standards that is uh, that are required to ride for the Ineos Grenadiers. And we're not going to drop them standards, not, not at all for anybody. You know, it's about the team, not about the individuals. And I don't mind having hard conversations with people when we need to. In, in doing a little bit of, of research, um, I went on your guys' website and, you know, you have your staff, you know, team principal, deputy team principal, race coach, performance engineer, coach, performance coach, sport director, Shut head of me. racing, data scientist, head of performance support, physiotherapist, doctor, chef, nutritionist, carer and mechanic those are all jobs that i think we know what what's going on but i have two people to ask you about two job titles the first one is kind of funny the second one i really want to dig into you have robbie anderson and his title is head of people what what does that mean well basically he's steve peters's man so uh, Robbie works for Steve Peters. We we sort of em, uh, employ him for the year through Steve. Um, so it's it's a concept around. We felt that um, we'd sort of lost a little bit of focus on our people, 
and people developing and people moving forward, not just bike riders, but the whole staff, everybody, us as a group of people. So we really wanted to put a lot of focus on, um, you know, us, us as people, are we getting the best out of each other? You know, we had the best season yet. Uh, we've had all these different concepts, which you'd have perhaps, you know, lived through as well, uh, which wasn't just about bike riders. It was about us as individuals looking at ourselves and saying, what is the best season yet? Um, you know, happy ants, you know, are we all moving? Are we all working together well? And do we combine well? Are we, we integrated well as a team and all this sort of stuff? So Robbie's role is pretty much that, you know, he's a sports psychologist uh, and it's about sort of leading the progression of our people all to go in a certain route, you know, certain direction uh, as one, you know, and support all the bike riders and and then also working with the riders, you know. He's got a big, big task on his hands at the minute, yeah. You stole my second one, which was psychologist, which I think is a huge asset. And you mentioned this gentleman's name at the beginning of the podcast and just now again, Steve Peters. How important do you think it is to have a sports psychologist on board? Because when I was there, I thought it was what made the difference. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I feel like we're really privileged to have had Steve Peters involved in what we did, you know, and, and certainly at British Cycling and how he just his methods, I, I just think are fantastic, you know, and, and not just for our work life, but just general life in general. I think the guy's got something really special. Um, you know, we're lucky to have Robbie Anderson with us and, and, and just, who sort of puts a new, new, um, just puts a new spotlight on the chimp model. He delivers it in a different way to Steve in that sense. But, I think it's really important, Bobby, yeah. I think it's one of the most important parts. You know, we we train and train and train physically, but do you train your mind, you know? And I think you've got to train your mind and you've got to be prepared for things. You've got to, you've got to you know, try and forecast what things, what challenges you've got ahead. If you can do that as a whole team of people, you're really powerful then. You know, you can do it individually quite easy, but to do it as a team of people, it, it it's quite a, it's quite a technique to do it. You know, and we've worked we've worked on that for years, to be honest, of how you bring a group of people together to think as one, you know. Rod, it was fantastic yes. actually to catch up with Good. you. And I believe I also raced the um eighty seven or eighty nine junior world championships in Moscow. I was there as well. Oh, right, so okay. we you do go well. back a long way. We yeah. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We East do Germany back, back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah, was fantastic to have you and I have a whole new view of your job now and about the team. So it was fantastic to have you. Thanks a million for being our guest tonight. Great. It was great, guys. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. Good to catch up with you all. Thank you very much. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Rod Ellingworth for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.